the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And by now you know that we take your phone calls so that we can answer your Bible questions, questions about what we believe or why we believe it, questions about verses that are troubling you, or even life things that are going on right now. 340-9585 is the phone number. That's area code 210-340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're... Out of the local area. Oh, I already told you that one. I know what I was going to say. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Because it's Monday, there's a lot going on. Ladies, our Sweet Summer Devotion series starts tonight. Uh, Paula has spoken about that a lot in the past. But it's one of those um, very special times here where God always chooses a bunch of ladies to, to share what he's put on their heart, and it is always a blessing. We have a lot of people that show up. It's just really, really good thing. Remember that we have it at the same time as our men's Bible study, just different location. Uh, also our youth studies, so your whole family can come to Bible studies tonight. But the Sweet Summer Devotion series begins tonight, and Paula will be speaking for the very first time. She always kicks it off. And then next week, we'll have Sarah Green, who will be on deck. One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me see. Our first question comes from our mobile app, anonymously. Would you please explain James 1, 14, and 15, specifically what James means by death? Let me read it anonymous, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, James says, But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Um, this is uh, not, not a physical death. I mean, this is similar, I think, anonymous to... Um, what happened in the Garden of Eden? Don't eat the fruit of this one tree or surely you will die. Well, we know that they didn't die immediately in a physical sense. But what happened was a spiritual death. So we're talking here about the death of something that God wants to do. When we give in to those temptations, and that's the context here. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But instead, we're tempted by our own evil desires and we're dragged away, and literally that's dragged away from the presence of Jesus when we're on our own, and then something dies. Again, it's not a physical death, Anonymous, but here's what it is. It's it's a, a good example. Um, a friend of mine I know who 
uh, lost his his ministry position and later his church simply because he refused to give in to his flesh. He 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 was tempted. He gave in. He surrendered, and it ended up costing him his church. His ministry was dead, of no effect. Again, there was still a church building there, but for him, it was it was over. And I think the whole point of this is James is telling us that sin leads to death. We sometimes think we can get away with it, but we never ever do. Sin leads to death, not physical death, but it's sort of a slow, measured death of the work that God wants to do in our hearts. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is um, caller Joe from San Antonio. Joe, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How you doing, Pastor Ron? I'm doing well, Joe. Caller, Thank you. First time caller, but I've been listening quite a while. Um, I'll try to make it short, uh, and I'll listen on the, on the air. But okay. I have a friend... That we used to go to the same church, and he started a ministry close by. And uh, he's got one of his friends, you know, with him as as a real close right hand kind of guy. But and his wife, are both of the, both of the, the guy and the wife are saved, not the the guy that started the church. But <clears throat> she uh, tells my my wife that she's not comfortable going there. She feels like she's not being fed. But her husband keeps telling her that, well, she's got to, you know, be able to submit, you know, and she's in that, uh, I guess, hard place and whether she needs to submit, but she feels like she comes to the original church that we're at, she gets fed more there and she learns more. And it's, uh, for me, I, I keep telling I mean, she don't want to die, or you spiritually, she's really got to seek the Lord and just, and I know, I, I believe, I know the, the answer is that she needs to submit to her husband, but we just need a little guidance on that. Okay. I'll do the best I can. Joe, let me ask you one thing. Did, did you say that the person yes. who started the church is not a Christian? Yes, he is. He is. Oh, he is. Okay. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I misunderstood. My my producer oh, no, no, and I, no. our eyes kind of with okay. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank he, you. He is. We used to go to the same church, but you know, okay, he started thank, the ministry. So okay. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Thank you, Joe. I can I can help you with that. We come in across that all the time. You know, one of the things that happens in the church is 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 the husband and wife need to be together, but the idea here is that we're one flesh. And um, I guess the point I'm trying to make, Joe, is that we shouldn't make a move until our partner's in agreement with it. It's that simple. Paul and I, we, we try to walk together as one flesh. By that, I mean, if I'm thinking about doing something and she's not with me on it or, or she just doesn't sense that that's the Lord's leading at the time, we're not going to do it until God moves on her heart. And it sounds to me like what your friend did in, in stepping out and starting a ministry with somebody uh, is is moving sort of ahead of what God had planned for him. Um, he has to submit to his wife as his wife has to submit to him. That's the verse that comes before chapter 5, verse 22. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for God. And And we forget that part of it. Let me also say this, Joe. Any man that has to use the word submit in a conversation with his wife about things like this doesn't understand the concept of partnership. Yes, somebody is responsible to God to make the call, but these are informed partnerships. These are decisions that need to be made. I I couldn't possibly put Paul in a position where she wasn't getting fed. I'm supposed to wash her with the water of the word. But for me, just to say, come on, woman, we're going, you have to submit to me, misses the whole point of what servant leadership is all about. And so what I would guess is that there's a lot of other issues in this marriage, but but it's certainly one of them is a misunderstanding of the word submit. Now, here's the way I have advised people who, over the years in our church, have done this as well. I've said to the woman, go to your husband and tell him you're not getting fed. 
and remind him that he's the one responsible to make sure that you are being fed. Tell him that you're going to do your part. You will submit to his leadership, but what you would like is an assurance that his leadership has been bathed in prayer. His decisions have been bathed in prayer. And then remind him again that you're responsible to God for me being fed. So just to go to a church where I'm not being fed doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Um, It's not a decision. A circumstance like that is not a decision that the man should make independent of his wife. I think that's a good choice of words, independent. I think sometimes we men move independent of our wives, counting on the submit clause. And I, I just don't know personally, Joe, how I would have ever, ever explained that to the Lord. You know, Jesus is not at all shy about reminding me of who Paul is. You know, if I get frustrated or I don't understand something, well, you know, she prayed for you for 13 years. She's always and only one of the best for you. And what he's asking me to do is to consider her before making decisions. And what I want to be able to do, whatever it is that I say to Paula, I want to be able to say, I've prayed about this. I believe with all of my heart this is what God wants us to do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about it. And when the Lord speaks to your heart, we'll go together. And there's not just not a chance that we wouldn't go. Not a chance unless we were absolutely together in it. It's very important, Joe. I think we misunderstand what submit means. And we completely forget verse 21 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. That's to put her needs ahead of your own. And in a case like this, Joe, where a guy says, well, I'm called to go start this church. Well, well, is it even possible that God would call you to go somewhere where your wife isn't being fed? Most men don't like to hear that because we like the idea of being boss, but we forget that that doesn't make us boss. That makes us servant leader. And there is a heavy, heavy accountability and responsibility when, in fact, we just move out on our own. Hope that helps and make some sense to you, Joe. Thank you very much. You know, one of the things that we do uh, as men is, you know, we, we, we so often think that we have to be right. We have to make the right choices. We've got to protect our wives or cover our wives. That's God's job. Our job is to pray, find the will of God, and be in it. And to be in it with our families. But that requires partnership and discussion. We're not dictators. And I think too much of our church culture has long, long, long misunderstood that. Thank you, Joe. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... Our mobile app, it says, from a follower of Jesus. Uh, He or she says, what's wrong with people who follow someone as openly false as Jesse Duplantis? He needs a fourth airplane like I need a third car. Can they truly be Christians? Well, follower of Jesus, um, I've asked myself that question a whole bunch of times. Um, Forget needing a fourth airplane. Um, this guy needs to be grounded. He's such a false teacher. And, and, and no one should ever support him. Now, about his followers. And here's what we have to understand. God is a remnant of people everywhere. And every one of those people that follow him and contribute to him are going to answer to God for their stewardship, not only of their, of their, their money, but of their time as well. Are they real believers? Only God knows. But these are the people, I think, many of them who were described in the parable of the sower. People who are preoccupied with the cares and worries of this world and and all of that worry chokes out any fruitfulness. But I have no doubt there are some who really love Jesus and Jesse Duplantis happens to be a fairly entertaining guy. He is a false teacher, but he is an expert persuader. And I think these are lazy Christians, the real saved ones there. I think they're lazy Christians 
who don't ever open a Bible for themselves and look at it without reading it through the, the lens that they've been given by these false teachers. And Jesse Duplantis isn't the worst one by far. He just made the, the, the news recently with this 54, I think, million dollar airplane that he wants. God has people everywhere, follower of Jesus, and he's got them in that church. But pray for them because they are deceived. They're getting ripped off. They're missing out on the rewards. And I think rather than being frustrated with them, we need to have compassion. Pray that God would remove the blinders. There is a demonic power in false doctrine. It's always been that way. You go all the way back to Jeremiah 23. There's always this this demonic power in false doctrine. And people that aren't equipped are the ones that are going to be taken advantage of. You know what frustrates me even more than that? Are the people who are being deceived by those pastors who seem nice and say nice things, but who deprive them of the real word of God, and I worry about their souls. I worry about what's going to happen to them when a, a crisis comes along in their lives. I can promise you this, they're not going to be equipped to deal with whatever the test might be. One final thought, follower of Jesus, this is something that I have thought about for a long, long time. We don't have anybody in line. Let me tell a quick story. In our early years here at Calvary Chapel, we've been here 23 years, in our early years when our church was really small, and I now know, looking back, that we were being tested. Paul says it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Well, you can only be tested in those times of of small things, those days of beginnings. Will you be as faithful when four people show up as you would if 4,000 showed up? And it was really, really hard for us. And one day, just sort of at the end of my rope, I was out walking and talking with Jesus. And we were just coming up to the place where our church is located. And I just said, Lord, I'm so frustrated. Why are the people with these these false churches, why are their churches full and we're struggling so mightily? And he never answered that question. But you know what he did? He spoke to my heart. He said, I've given you my word and a platform. Don't worry about what they're doing. You do what I told you to do. And that was one of those moments where it'd be easy to start calling people names and accusing people of not being saved. It would not would be. It was too easy to whine. It's not fair that it's so hard for us. Or I could say, well, you're right, Lord. You gave me your word and you gave me a platform. So whether there's a few people or a lot of people, I'm going to share it. You know, the truth is that we could, any anyone can, can make have a big church. Anyone can have a church that at least to the world looks successful. All you have to do is tell people what they want to hear. Give them false hope. People pay a lot of money for false hope. And those people are victims. It's their fault. They're self-inflicted wounds, for sure. But those people are victims. I could stretch it as far as those churches that have women pastors. Why would anybody go to a church in violation of the Word of God? But they do, and I'm sure they're saved. So here's what we've got to understand, that God has people everywhere, and we need to pray for them and love them and not get angry at them. Now, it's okay to be angry, righteously so, when it comes to talking about these false teachers specifically, and Jesse Duplantis is a false teacher, makes up stories. He's he's just a false teacher. And we should all be righteously angry about that. Hope that helps. Thank you very much. Here's a question from Drew from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, when Jesus sent the demons into the pigs and then into the sea, did the demons drown 
die with their hosts? Or did those demons resurface into other hosts? Surely they didn't enter the lake of fire. Uh, Drew, the, the last part of your question, the lake of fire has not been made yet. Uh, that will be um, um, created by God uh, at the Great Tribulation with the destruction of the Antichrist, the man we call the Antichrist and the false prophet. They will be in the lake of fire for a thousand years before the great white throne judgment. So so they didn't go into the lake of fire. Now, we know demons don't like to be disembodied. We don't know why they don't like to be disembodied, but they don't. So here's what would have happened. As Jesus permitted those demons to to run off the cliff, he was using um, them as a sermon illustration to make his point that the devil came to lie, to kill, to destroy, and to steal. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you want to see power, supernatural power? You, you, you want to see where this legion's power comes from? I'll show you. And then he showed him Satan's intent with the pig suicide. But, but they would have disembodied. Uh, demons can't drown. They're not corporeal or physical. Uh, so they would have disembodied and they would have searched according to Jesus for, for other hosts. So that was the point. And again, it was just Jesus giving an illustration of what Satan's real intent is. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anna. Will you comment on today's Supreme Court ruling about the baker who wouldn't bake a cake for a gay wedding? As Christians, shouldn't we love people? And in this case, gone ahead and made the cake. Anna, it's never, yeah, I will comment, it's never loving to compromise your beliefs, your faith. It's never loving to give people hope that what they're doing is okay. And what we've got is a man in Colorado who took a stand. It's cost him everything. His business was ruined by the social media fallout, by the activists who targeted him. And yet he took a stand. What he said was, serving Jesus is more important than being successful in my business. Now, we hope and pray that both of those things will happen now. But he refused because he believes, he's convinced, and by the way, he's right, that same-sex marriage is wrong. I trust that this man would have responded the same way if somebody would have come to him, a heterosexual couple, and said, we're not married, but we're going to have a a fornication party and we want all of our people to know that we're going to stay together, all of our friends, I'm sure he wouldn't have made that cake either. Because he wanted to do what was right. I'm also sure, in fact, I know in this particular case this to be the case, that this man has had many homosexual clients that he has provided cakes for for other events has nothing to do with discrimination. It's just that gay marriage crossed the line. I believe with all of my heart that if I had a business, I would want to sell what I was producing to anybody and everybody and do as good a job as I possibly could and make as much money from it as I could. No prudent businessman or woman would ever want to alienate paying customers. there comes a time when you have to take a stand. And a gay wedding was it. God's word is as clear as it can be. And yet it seems that this man was targeted. Well, today he stands vindicated. And now he'll be able to pursue with a clear conscience his chosen line of work. But on the Shouting's not done on this one, I promise you. There's going to be backlash against him even still. The opposition is militant. They are unrelenting. And they won't take this defeat lying down. 
Now, most of you in the audience know I'm pretty old by now. And I can go back 10 years, 15 at the most, and it never would have occurred to me, never would have occurred to me that this would ever be a point of discussion. What's happened to our world? The things that we knew were wrong, even our former president, for the entirety of his first term. Now, part of this was strategic to get reelected, but his whole campaign for the entirety of his first term, he said, I'm in favor of civil unions, but I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. As soon as he was elected for the second term, all of that went out the window. Why? Because we all know it's wrong. And yet, in such a short time, we've been convinced not only that it's right, but that we Christians are the ones who are being difficult. So, on a no, we shouldn't show false love by promoting something that God so clearly hates. As Christians, you're right, we should love people. But by loving people, I mean tell them the truth in love. And that's what this man did. So it's not going to be something that goes away quietly or peacefully. You know, we have uh, a medical clinic here at our church, a family practice a doctor's office. We've talked about it a lot on this program. Uh, nobody pays anything, no insurance, no anything. Uh, in the five-plus years we've been open, we've seen well over 20,000 patients. We have a very, very large, a significant homosexual patient base. And they all hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has insulated us and protected us, but because we're not selling anything, nobody accuses us of discriminating because we give great care. But so often the reaction is, look, you can't stop us now. There's too many of us. Well, that's what happens in a country that's forsaken God. We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You listen to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. Ladies, again, I want to remind you that our Sweet Summer Devotion series starts tonight. Uh, Paula will be speaking to the ladies tonight, and you will be blessed. And then for the next, I think, nine weeks, now we've got a we're going to go two weeks and have a two-week break because Paul and I are going to be on vacation and then come back and it'll be the following, uh, the, the final seven ladies who will be sharing uh, throughout the rest of the summer. But it's 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. You can watch it live at calvarysa.com. And uh, tonight, as I said, Paula will be sharing, and I think she's sharing from Second Corinthians chapter 5. Most of the other ladies will be sharing what God's done in their lives. It's, it's a, 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 a wonderful ministry uh, that God gave birth to here. And over the years, the, the response has been absolutely overwhelming. 340-9585, here is a simple question from Adam. Please explain predestination and election. Uh, Adam, I get this question a lot, so I'm going to give you sort of the Cliff Notes version uh, today. Um, predestination is a biblical doctrine. Uh, election, the two terms are are interchangeable. Uh, and it simply means that God chooses who is going to be his. Now, there's no question about that. It is a biblical doctrine, and every Christian ought to be comfortable. My pastor, before he went to be with Jesus, now he knows the truth, but... Uh, my pastor, before I went to be with Jesus, used to say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look in the, at the gate, and it's going to say, enter of your own free will. And then when I go through the gate, I'm going to look back, and it's going to say, chosen by God. And those two ideas 
don't have to have tension between them. Let me explain. While every Christian believes, real Christian believes in this biblical doctrine, Paul made it as clear as it's possible to be, so did Peter. The only disagreement within the camp of Christians is what is the basis for that predestination? A Calvinist would say that uh, God chooses arbitrarily and, and, and since no one can resist his will, then when God chooses you, you're stuck with him. If God doesn't choose you, there's nothing you can do to get to heaven. On the other side of that argument, we would say, well, if we don't have any free will, if we don't get to make a choice, then how is that love? If God forces us to love me, you're going to love me no matter what. You have no say-so in the matter. Uh, that's a silly notion, Adam. So the basis upon which God makes his choice, we don't have to guess. It's given to us in two places in Scripture, Romans 8.29 and 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We are elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. What does that mean? It means that God who lives outside of time and space and knows everything, he knows who's going to respond to his invitation to come to heaven. Yesterday in our Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, I gave an invitation. And anybody who gave their heart to Jesus yesterday. Well, God knew that was going to happen. It doesn't matter how long we go back. God always knew. So God chose them, and they responded to the choice of God. The person who doesn't respond hasn't been chosen by God. Now remember, God chooses those who choose him. Romans 8, 29, 1 Peter 1, verse 1. And that's all we need to know. God is not arbitrarily saying, you can come to heaven, you can't. That is to miss the whole point of the doctrine of predestination or election. So when we understand that, it becomes real simple. There's no tension at all. What's special about this, Adam, especially as I look back on my life, as I think about all those years that I was making life miserable for Paula, those years that I was resisting God and running away from him, Because God knew that there was a day coming in February of 1991 when I was going to surrender my heart to him, God never changed his mind about loving me no matter how much I tried to convince him. God never thought, you know, this guy's never going to get it. I'm going to remove my love from him. He set his love upon me because he knew there would be that day. I had to make the choice. It was my choice for sure. But God always knew what choice I would be and when that choice would be made. Not only that, Adam, but I look back now and and a God I didn't know, a God that I honestly hated, a God I thought was so unfair to me. I can now look back and see his hand working sovereignly in and through my life in all of those years that I was running away. I can see the things that he taught me in those rebellious years that I needed to learn as a pastor. When I was a car dealer, he taught me things that I use to this day. And all because he chose me. You know, every day I say, Adam, today of my own free will, Father, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, in your name, and for your glory. But when I consider this question of election, you know what? It's God who's saying, today of my own free will, I choose, Ron. That's a staggering thought. So that's all it is, Adam. It's unnecessary tension that we have. People say, well, you know, we can never know the mind of God. Well, there are some things we can know the mind of God on. One is that God is love. And God calls everyone. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that the case? Because only a few are on that narrow road. But we're the ones who make the choice to be 
on that wide road that goes to destruction. So it's not that God didn't choose them. He'd love to, but they won't let him. So I hope that answers your question. Here's a question from Nelson. He wants to know, how important is physical fitness for believers? Nelson, I think it's really, 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 really important. Let me explain. A year ago, uh, May 25th, I was um, told I had no choice but to get to the hospital or I would die. I had a virus attack my heart, um, a, a freak thing, and it settled on the heart, and, and it really broke it. Uh, my, my heart wouldn't pump blood out, and for a few months I was dizzy and fainting and uh, felt weird and disengaged, sort of. I can't even explain how I felt. That's how weird it was. Uh, and when the, sort of the SOS call came from the cardiologist after he, they put me on a, on a heart monitor for 24 hours, um, after that, um, he told me that the, the only reason I survived was that I was in such good shape physically. So I'm going to tell you that's how important physical fitness is. If I wasn't physically fit, I would have missed graduation last week. I would have missed Dr. Peter becoming Pastor Peter this past Friday night. I would have missed our Easter service this year as I did the year before. And all because God put it in my heart to be physically fit. Now, in relative terms, physical fitness isn't nearly as important as spiritual fitness. Bodily exercise profiteth little, Paul says, speaking to Timothy, who is a pastor. But bodily exercise does profit. And I tell our church all the time that you can't serve Jesus if you're dead. So we're to be good stewards over our body. Now, we're not fanatics about it here. It's not something that's part of my regular message simply because we teach through the Bible and we don't come across that. But... You know, when we say, according to Paul in Romans chapter 12, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, we get up every morning, and this is what every Christian ought to do every morning. What about me, Jesus, and what about today? You can't do that if you're not healthy enough to. Now, obviously, I'm talking about those things that happen because we're not fit, Obviously, things happen to people and diseases come and there's nothing we can do about it. My point is only this, Nelson, that we need to be as good as stewards over our physical bodies as we possibly can be. We need to be healthy enough to answer God's call. We need to be healthy enough to serve with energy. And the only way we can do that is if we pay attention to our physical fitness. Again, we've got far more important things to concern ourselves with, and that's our spiritual fitness. But you could be the godliest guy in the world, but if you're 100 pounds overweight or if your body's racked with diabetes, things that could be avoided or your blood pressure is through the roof, then obviously you're limiting your ability to be used by the Lord. And that's the one thing none of us want. We don't want to be missing out on the things that God has for us. Let's go to Jose on line one from San Antonio. Jose, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. Hi. Uh, uh, yes, sir. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of like a new Christian. Okay. And uh, I like to read a lot of the prophecy books. And uh, the one that I like is Revelation. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see your input on a, I think it's uh, Revelation seventeen, five. That uh, and it says it's in big words: uh, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abomination of the earth. Can you explain a little bit about that to me? Yeah, I can, Jose. Thank you. And by the way, uh, welcome, yeah, like welcome. A, huh? I said I was going to say just welcome to the family of God. I'm really glad you're a new believer. Oh, thank you, sir. It's about uh, five years. <laughs> not not that long. Awesome. 
<laughs> nope, not that long. But but this is this is when God kind of picks up the pace in your walk. Uh, in this passage, Jose, the, the 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 use of the word mystery indicates that there's a whole lot more in view than just physical Babylon. In the Great Tribulation, the sort of the center of the world's power is going to shift to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And um, uh, that that is clear if you take the book literally as it's supposed to be taken. By the way, um, uh, I, I tell our church here that every Christian ought to read the book of Revelation twice a year and the book of Acts twice a year. Get, get through the rest of the Bible every year. But, the, but these are books that are really, really important. So the, the idea that there's a mystery is not just physical Babylon, the land or the government, but it speaks to the religious and or the philosophical powers behind physical Babylon. Uh, Paul calls the true church a mystery in Ephesians chapter 5, but in this particular chapter, the mystery church is a, a counterfeit of the devil. Babylon in Scripture is a symbol of confusion. Remember, it was where uh, God confused the language of those who rebelled uh, against him at the Tower of Babel. Uh, To Jews, and that's the context that, that, that John was writing, Babylon represented the completeness of evil. In John's day, when he was writing that that day was or that city was Rome. Rome was the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. But this goes down the corridor of time and space. John wrote Revelation in about 95 A.D. So now we go all the way down the corridor of time and space, and the city, the evil city that is against God, is going to be uh, the city Babylon. Um, it's the city, the the spirit that's in control of this world until Jesus returns. That's why Paul called Satan the god of this age in 2 Corinthians. Um, In our culture, Jose, I think that city is every city. Whether it's Wall Street or Hollywood, London, Paris, these are cities given over to evil. San Francisco, Austin, San Antonio. So Babylon, this mystery, is thriving right here in the United States. It was Babylon where false religion really began. Nimrod, who is a great-grandson of Noah through Ham's evil line, was a man described as a mighty hunter before God. And he began the practice of idol worship on earth. So this is just a, a representative of total evil. And Babel was the place where mother and son worship began. You can see how Babylon's infiltrated worship even down to the times that we live in. That she was the mother of prostitutes indicates that she was the source of all false religions. This is worship that pretends to worship the one true God, but actually leads people away from it. So uh, I think, uh, Jose, um, that answers your question. But but let me uh, me suggest something. Uh, As you're reading the book, and keep reading it, because not only is it important, it's interesting. Keep reading it. It's not as difficult as people make it, because all of the symbols are described elsewhere. And you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and uh, you can sort of follow along with the teachings I've done in the book of Revelation. It's pretty easy to navigate through our website. Just find the teachings on Revelation and keep reading. It is a very, very important, relevant book. I went through it really, really slowly. So uh, I hope that helps, and I hope that you'll be able to. And, and we charge, we never charge for anything. So I hope that will help. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. Let's go to line two, Scott from Shirt. Scott, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Hi, Scott. Um, I, I, hopefully I can verbalize this correctly. If, I, if I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but um, I, I think it was Chuck Missler I heard preaching some a long time ago. It came up this last week when I was doing some Bible study. Something he said, and I'm trying, and I can't find the the sermon that he did that he said this. But he, um, in a nutshell, I guess what it is is when Jesus died on the cross. Um, of course, he said, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken?" Where you take him the 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 sins of the world, and basically separate. I mean, he was separate from God for that moment or whatever. Um, and then also how they said the only scars in heaven will be in Jesus's hands and and feet. 
is there another eternal consequence that Jesus, by taking on that sin, I know he's on the right hand of God the Father, mm-hmm. um, but I think what, and like I said, this was a long time, I, I can't find the sermon, but it was kind of like it alluded that, that Jesus lost some other connection with God or something. There was some something because of that sin that he took on with him, uh, on him. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm trying to ask, or, or I, I, I think I do, Scott. Yeah, I, I think okay. I do. Let me let me share my heart. Thank you very very much. You know, uh, Chuck Missler just died. He went to be with the Lord uh, two weeks ago. I think three weeks ago, maybe. Um, Chuck Missler was um, um, deeply associated with Calvary Chapel. Um, taught a Bible study there on uh, Monday nights. Uh, for many, 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 many years, he moved to Idaho with his uh, took his ministry up there. Um, Chuck Missler was a really nice man. However, he was a mystic, and I would not recommend any of his teaching. He was one of those guys that that, that just threw out these crazy theories and said, "Well, you know, I'm not a teacher, so so you don't count on me. Be a Berean." Uh, but but that doesn't get him off the hook because he was teaching and did it for many, many years. He was a fabulously successful businessman, uh, and he was a nice man. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. But his teaching, frankly, at times, our association with him at Calvary Chapel was embarrassing. Uh, he was responsible for a whole lot of people freaking out over the Y2K thing, even though... I know personally the people that were telling him nothing is going to happen. Computer people. So be careful of Chuck Missler and, and his teachings. That's my point. He's interesting. It gives you things to think about. He's sort of like a Christian conspiracy theorist. And there is no doubt that he's with Jesus today. But his teachings are not all that dependable. Here's what I think he was saying. and I've actually heard um, uh, Chuck talk on on uh, the, the 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 separation between the father and son, Jesus really was forsaken. Not only was he quoting a messianic psalm, Jesus, but he was really asking the question, "Why have you forsaken me?" Imagine Jesus on that cross, and for the first time. And I think these are the two things that are the worst thing that Jesus had to deal with. Scott, one was being separated from his father that's never happened in eternity in his ministry even while he was here on earth I only do what I see my father do I only say what I hear my father say he never acted independently and suddenly on that cross he's alone and that would have been a horrifying unbelievable experience for somebody who was always perfectly united with his father the second thing and I think this is even worse this is holy God Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. The angels, these, these cherub that covered, were shouting, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah fell down as dead. Well, John tells us in chapter 12 of his gospel that Isaiah saw Jesus. My point is this holy, almighty, pure, perfect God became sin. How can we understand that? How could even Jesus understand that he who knew no sin took my sin so that I could have his righteousness? That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And in that process was left alone, completely alone. Why? Because God is too holy to look on sin. And Jesus had to deal with it on his own so that you and I wouldn't have to deal with it. Now, about his hands and feet being pierced, we know in Revelation it says John turned around and he saw one looking like a lamb that was slain. So we know that Jesus is going to have those piercings on the road to Emmaus. Jesus had those hands that were pierced and that's where the two disciples were able to to discern that this was Jesus that we were talking to. So yes, he's going to be the only person that isn't physically perfect. Remember, his body is physically glorified and resurrected. 
so too will ours be, but Jesus' body will bear those scars. And as grotesque as those scars are, Scott, they will be infinitely more glorious and magnificent. I always imagine myself when I get to heaven and I fall at his feet. I imagine myself looking at that hand, just one of them, and saying, you did that for me. You did that for me. And he's going to look at us and he's going to say, it was worth it. So yeah, there were consequences and Jesus will bear those beautiful yet grotesque scars for eternity. But we're his trophy, we're his reward. And for reasons that we can't imagine, he thinks he got the better end of the deal. So Scott, I hope that's what you were talking about. Be careful of Chuck Missler's teachings. Uh, But again, a believer, good guy. He just got a little goofy sometimes. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Is that... A call? Oh, I thought we had a call. No. Oh, we're almost out of time. I had no idea. I had no idea we were that close. Um, real quickly, I can do this from our mobile app from Rich. What should a believer do practically to know and understand the will of God? Rich, uh, I'll, I'll deal with this more at the opening of the show tomorrow. But let me tell you what we should do practically. We should devour his word and walk with Jesus. And you will know his will, I promise. Now, do we have to understand his will? No. I don't know that we can. His ways are not our ways. But we can know his will, and the best way to start is devouring his word. Thanks, Rich. And I'll come back to this question as we open the program. The more you've been listening to the word to stand up for life, remember sweet summer devotions tonight at 7, ladies. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.